On the Empire Podcast this week, Margot Robbie tries to make us lose our focus and succeeds. All that and more on the movie podcast that wonders if there be a bit in Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, where Superman falls backwards down a flight of stairs because of the, the cape you see, which is a topical reference. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, the 150th Empire Podcast. Round of applause. <laughs> Did not think we would make it. No one Some people we thought we might it. not last six months. Some people thought we might get bored. But no, here we are, three years on. Look God, at that. I'm so bored. Look at that. Uh, we had talked about doing a live podcast to mark this momentous occasion, but we just couldn't make it work, sadly. But we do hope to have at least, at least one live podcast this year at some point. So keep them peeled, people, if you want to come along to Lowe's. Anyway, joining me today are two colleagues of such lethal cunning, both of whom have... A lot of sympathy for Madonna after her much ballyhooed fall at the Brits last night because, well, <laughs> you're not going to believe this, but much the same thing happened to them. I know. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't just make this up for the intro. No. Uh, first up is our art house guru, Phil Dissemblian, who once presented an award at the Battleship Potemkin uh, Awards, uh, only, to, <laughs> only to slip and fall down a flight of stairs. It took him two hours. <laughs> Hello, Phil. Oh, that's true, Chris. That is in no way made up for your intro at all. Uh, that's, yeah, sore. That was very sore. Especially when the woman with the pram landed on top of me. I don't know what she was, it was doing a, there. It was an elegantly written sentence. Um, uh, next up is our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, who once hosted... Is this true, Helen? The no. Babylon the, the Babylon 5 Awards at her university when she was treasurer of what we can only describe as Babsock. Literally um, none of that is true. Apparently, <laughs> this is true, uh, she fell over a box that someone had left on stage. She didn't see it because it was dark. Uh, what you needed, Helen, was a box lightener. <laughs> <laughs> That's a slow clap, Chris. I'm, I'm inordinately proud of that one. Um, okay, here are some questions. Do people know who Brock's, Bruce Boxleitner is? I mean... But fans, the fan of Babylon 5... Oh, oh come on. <laughs> people who live in Peter Jurassic World will know, will know who okay. Bruce Boxleitner is. Fine. Fans of Scarecrow and Mrs. King will know who Bruce Boxleitner is, Okay. So I don't think I need to explain that joke. Uh, here are some questions uh, worthy of our 150th podcast. People said we wouldn't make it, but we did. Here we go. First one is from at Ianski, uh, who, who, says, who says, if you had to choose one OT character to die in The Force Awakens, who would it be and why? Uh, Phil yesterday, mm. uh, because he's an art house guru, uh, had to ask me what an OT character means. Yeah, um, I thought it might be Old Testament first. That's what I thought it meant. <laughs> But it originally, it's original trilogy. Original trilogy. Moses. <laughs> Moses. Well, weirdly enough, John Boyega is in The Force Awakens and he played Moses in uh, Attack the Block. So Not the same Moses. Not the same Moses. Not the same one. Okay, so original trilogy character. We know that Han is in it. We know yep. Luke is in it. We know yep. Leia is in it. We know Chewbacca is in it. Yeah. There may be some others. Sure. Um, I don't want to see anybody die. Now, there are rumours as to who will, which I'm not going to repeat here for fear of spoilers. No. Um, because I don't want to know that. I have not, I have not that. read those rumours. Don't read those rumours. I mean, if we have to lose one. Uh, <laughs> if we have to lose one. If we have to, I'm saying C-3PO. Can't really die, though, can't the robot. Of course he can die. Hmm? He can be smashed in smithereens. He can be pulped. He can be sold to eBay by any droid.com. He can, anything can happen to him. Okay. Well, I'm with that. That sounds like the best option. I'm not someone that wants to see people die, particularly. Yeah. Um, now I feel like but, we're all, now I feel like we're all piling on C three. <laughs> yeah, we are because he has no feelings. He's but, a robot. But he oh. won't. He won't die. 
because no. he'll be in the, all the other episodes because of the grand tradition of appearing in every episode so far. Mm. So, oh, I, hope I don't know. Dies. They're not, not going to bring um, Lando back just to kill him off for, you know, bring him back for five minutes and then just bump him off. Um, that would be bad. Jabba. They could bring Jabba back and kill. Oh, no, wait, they already Kill have. him again. Damn. Kill me again. Uh, Lobot. What about... Lobot. Oh, wait. If all those ridiculous uh, stories that Boba Fett survived the Sarlacc are true, and I'm sorry, they're ridiculous, and I won't it, take... It, it, no, no, Chris. It's can- no, no. It was... Can- no. It's not no. any... Anyway, he survived if... No, in the- no. <laughs> if those were true, I'd support killing him again. What about a catastrophic Ewok disaster? <laughs> <laughs> So the party at the end of the Jedi, a return the, the, yes. the Jedi, uh, return return of the Jedi gets yes. out of hand. What someone, you don't see a lit is, cigarette is the police turning up on yeah. mass. Wicked goes up in flames. Oof. Yeah, I'd watch. That. Latches on to Chief Chirpa yep, to yep, help. Yep, save yep. me, save me, Chief Chirpa, save me. Chief Chirpa goes up in flames. The whole <laughs> village goes up in flames. I didn't know you were um, that flammable. This has taken a really dark turn. Well, it was, I, it, the question was, who do you want to die? Yeah. And I've suddenly t- t- hit the mother load here. <laughs> All the Ewoks. All the Ewoks. <laughs> then Jar Jar comes in and goes, Oh, no, neither. Save the Ewoks. And then he falls over and he <laughs> no, goes up in flames. That's not OT, though. Okay, well, yeah. I'm, I'm back it's on OT track with those. Yeah, so it's an Ewok barbecue. Jawa, Jawa Ewok deathmatch. It would smell terrible, but it would taste so good. <laughs> what do you think so Ewoks wrong. taste like? Oh, chicken. The best chicken you've ever eaten. The in worst your life. intergalactic Nandos. Very, <laughs> <laughs> very Ewok. My per- <laughs> Next question. Next question. I think we've answered that to Ianski's satisfaction. Um, here's one from at Carl from Wolves. You know how we just mentioned Nandos? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we don't get a free oh, okay. high-five card. If you don't know what a high-five card is, it is a card that Nando's bestow to a select few that allows people, celebrities obviously, to go to Nando's whenever they like and bring four friends and eat whatever they want and they don't have to pay for it. It is the greatest thing in the history of the mankind. The mankind. What's happening to me today? I don't know. Um, but I think, I don't know, I think maybe as a birthday gift or 150th episode and all that, Mm-mm. I think Nando's should mm-hmm. bestow upon us. Long-time listeners will know that Dexter Fletcher has been bestowed with such a card. He has. But whether, whether he still has it or not, I do not know. He might not be able to use it. He's going to be shooting the Eddie the Eagle movie for the next couple of months over in Austria. I hear, I'm reading between the lines here and I'm saying, I don't you're have, saying, I don't have Dexter, a, I haven't low-jacked us. Dexter Fletcher, I just know that. Okay, I, have, right. I don't have like a dot right. denoting where he is at all okay. times. That would be absurd. Uh, next question is from Ad Carl from Wolves, uh, who asks, who is the worst actor slash actress, um, I believe in different categories, to win an Oscar? Uh, that is really unfair. There are so many great actors, Roberto Bellini. Oh, I must uh, say, without a shadow of a doubt, is this like is this like mi- misanthrope week? <laughs> I love not. it. I'm no, I'm totally on board with this. I I quite, but see the thing is, I like Life Is Beautiful. I really really liked <laughs> it as a film. It wasn't great. <laughs> Sorry. All right, <laughs> fine. In, on my own. Fine. You're not on your own. A lot of people love that movie, but in hindsight, in hindsight, <laughs> with the who benefits. was he up against? Do you remember? In that, uh, in that, we should maybe check that and come back to it later in this conversation because I'd be interested. I this is a tough one. You don't want to s- sort of. <laughs> he was up against uh, Tom Hanks for Saving Private Ryan, Ian McKellen for Gods and Monsters, <laughs> Nick Nolte for Affliction, fair win there, and Edward Norton for American History X. Mm. 
everybody in that category <laughs> is yeah. a thousand times better than Roberto oh, Benigni is in that film. Even Nick with, Nolte. Even Nick Nolte. That film's really, really good and he's fantastic in it. Right, mm. fine. It's shtick, really, isn't it? I mean, I know a lot of people, it's not my thing. Um, well, I mean, I'll, in terms of shtick, I'll, like Nicolas Cage has won an Oscar, so, you know. He's yeah, great well, that in that was film. Leaving Las Vegas, yeah, and that wasn't actually. really his shtick, was it? That was, that was a decent performance. I'm not sure. Cuba Gooding Jr., was a little close to stick, but he was very good, I thought, and I'm yeah. not sure he's quite, he lives in the company of a lot of Oscar winners in terms of his acting mm. chops. Um, Generally speaking. Likewise, Timothy Hutton in Ordinary People, who is really good in that film, actually, but, I mean, he's not sort of what you put in the top bracket of, of mm. actors, um, and he beat Joe Pesci for Raging Bull. And Al Pacino is only one for Scent of a Woman, yeah, which is weird. To me. Well, that's one of that. That's what they do all the time, where they sort of mm. realize, oh no, we, we haven't forgot. given we haven't given Al Pacino an award. How embarrassing! And then they give it to him the next time he's nominated for anything. Yeah, ever. they didn't do that with Hitchcock, though, did they? Uh, no, they, they they see this is the thing because they're not embarrassed that they didn't get pe- to mm. people like Hitchcock, and that's why you get something like Martin Scorsese winning for The Departed. Mm. You know, because they're like, uh oh. You know, 360 Mafia has an Oscar and Martin Scorsese doesn't. That's bad. That looks bad. Um, so, so there you go. Yeah. That looks bad. Definitely. Halle Berry? Oh. She was great in that film. It is a harsh question. The, the thing is, generally speaking, if you have won a Best Acting Oscar, you have a few strings to your bow. You are a pretty good actor. And obviously mm. there are just a huge array of greats on both sides who have won um, actor or actress supporting or lead. who are just phenomenal. Um, but then there's Roberto Benigni. And he just stands out for me Ugh. absolutely 100% as quite possibly the worst person I, you know, of all time. I mean, just, just generally. I, he took a certain sort of front to stand up and do what he did when he was collecting his award for making a film about the Holocaust. Yes. I'm just going to say that. And <laughs> Claw his way But that's not really people. the point. Yeah. Um, you know, in a pure acting capacity, he clearly doesn't have maybe the range, should we say, of some of these other actors. So if we had to be unkind, which we're clearly asked to do in this question, mm. there, I think you, you, it would be him. Fine question, Sarah, for 150th birthday. Is it 150th birthday or 150th episode? Episode, I episode. think. Third birthday is coming up soon. Sure. Woo. Yeah. Woo. Is there going to be cake? I've eaten it. The movie. No. I'm just sitting here in the gutter scooping cake into my <laughs> mouth. There's a cigarette, but I don't care. Just eat it. Uh, all right, here we go. If you want to have your qu- here we go. Here we, if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, uh, you can Twitter it to us on the Twit machine. Uh, we are at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can email us podcast at empireonline.com and you can Facebook us uh, at Empire Magazine as well. Margot Robbie for It Is She, burst onto the scene in glorious fashion with her astonishing turn in Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street. And since then, she's booked a ton of big gigs from Tarzan, uh, where she plays Jane, uh, to playing Harley Quinn in the forthcoming Suicide Squad. Uh, But the Aussie actress pops up this week in smouldering sexpot mode in the rom-com con uh, focus opposite Will Smith. So we sent our own smouldering sexpot, Ali Plum, along to the Top Gear track weirdly, of all places, where she was recording the star in a reasonably priced car segment to have a natter. Tempted to do some karaoke. Please, that would be more than welcome. (laughs) No, you will be regretting saying that, trust me. You'll take it back. Wait till my final question. It's right here. um, (laughs) We are, believe it or not, in the Top Gear 
studio, airplane, massive racetrack. It's quite crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's not your average day, is it, in your life? Just your average day at the office, yeah. And have you done your lap yet? I have. I just did it. And by the way, I'm totally joking. This is not an average day of at the office. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I finished doing my laps. Will's doing his laps now. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely caning me, I can tell, just by like the sound of the tyres screeching out there. We should talk about the film Focus, which you, of course, starring with the one and only Will Smith. Yes. You get to go to Buenos Aires, uh, New Orleans, Lo- New Orleans, all over the New shop. York. Yeah. Was this was this one of those gigs that you just went? This is insane. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, normally when you're looking at a project, you you hope that it ticks all the boxes, and and when it does, you really fight for it. You want great filmmakers to work with. You want a great, well written script, an original idea with a you know original content and a great character and then the icing on the cake are things like awesome shooting locations which in this case was a uh, very prevalent new orleans was somewhere i was dying to go to mm-hmm. ever since i moved to america that's what everyone everyone kept saying to me they're like oh you would love new orleans and uh buenos aires i've, I've done i've done a bit of traveling in south america but i didn't make it to argentina so i was so happy to tick that off the list and get to explore a little bit and New York is, you know, always a good time. Yeah, it'll do. It'll yep. do. And you get to do, I'm sure everyone's asking you when they're interviewing you about this movie, about pickpocketing, and if you could steal anything in this room, what would you steal? I'm not going to do that to you. Okay. But I do want to ask you, because there's a great bit from a guy that's, I think, his name's Brendan, but I think he's still best known as the guy from, in the UK at least, the Orange Adverts. He used to do a long campaign, and he's the guy who plays Horst. Yeah. He's brilliant. I, I love know him. I didn't know he did an ad in the UK. Oh, you, like, if you see him in the UK... This he, is ammunition he, I could have used, and... Well, next time you see him, you can butcher him with it. Ask him... Wonderful. When was the last time he used Orange? Anyway, <laughs> he gives you this amazing speech to your character, Jess, is kind of a newcomer he, to the group. He, by the way, is the nicest human being. Like, one of those people that you just genuinely love. Mm. Mm. He gives the speech just, of just a fun fact for like that's important there. for people yeah. to know, <laughs> uh, where he says all of the pickpocketing street slang ever. Yeah, how much do you know? What, what sticks in your mind? Well, the thing is, we shot this stuff about two years ago. So back then, I actually <laughs> knew what every single thing, you know, right bridge, back bridge, poke, all that stuff. What's a right a bridge? Like your your back right pocket, these pockets here. A lift, That's, a bumper. Yeah, lift, a bumper, shade. I was going to ask you, what's a shade? A shade is when, like, the personal object you use to cover the view of what you're trying to see. Like you misdirection. Know, to, to, yeah, to get in the way. Not necessarily misdirection. Like, if you hold a newspaper above someone's pockets and then you okay. take things from their pockets, you've got the shade there. But anyway... You're with Will Smith. When mm-hmm. you first got on board of this project, was he involved and was it one of those, really, is this happening moments? Yeah, totally. In fact, it was, uh, guys, this isn't going to happen. Why would I fly to New York f- for this when we all know I'm never going to get this role sort of thing? <laughs> like, I'll happily do it, but we all know I'm not getting this role, right? And everyone was kind of in agreement. They're like, yeah, it's it's kind of probably not going to happen. But, yeah, it's a free flight. Go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Will was already uh, attached to the project and, and on board to play Nikki and they're trying to find their Jess. And there was a an incredible list, incredibly intimidating list of actresses that they were considering and auditioning. And um, I was like the wild card, I think, that got thrown in there. I was like not really the choice that made sense. But I'd met with John and Glenn about a year earlier and we all, you know, really got along. And I I don't know why they asked for me. I I should really (laughs) ask that. I'm not sure why they thought I should come in and audition. Because this was before Wolf of Wall Street, wasn't it? It was... After Wolf of Wall Street, but before Wolf had come out. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I was still under the radar very much, but uh, people within the industry knew that I'd just worked with um, Scorsese, which is obviously a big help. Your life must have changed immeasurably once that happened. It did. It did and it didn't. Um, 
when we finished filming, like I said, people in the industry knew that I'd worked on uh, on the film, but I mean, no one knew if I had two lines or mm-hmm. twenty pages of dialogue, and no one knew if I was any good. So it was like a foot in the door for sure, but it wasn't like a sign sealed delivered sort sure. of scenario. And then once the film came out, um, that kind of concreted things and obviously raised the bar and I was backpacking at the time and you know I never get a chance to do things like that so you know between work and um so I, I kind of didn't want to no I mean if I and I said to them I was like look guys if I thought I had a chance at this role you know I would be on the next flight but we all know I'm not going to get this no one's ever going to buy me and Will as a couple that's just like the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard and uh, they were kind of like in agreement and um and then I get this these frantic missed calls when I, I come home one morning and check my phone, which I wasn't checking very regularly, obviously, because there's no reception and things. And there's 20 missed calls from my team being like, you have to be on a flight tonight to New York. You're going to be in the room with them tomorrow. And, um, yeah, it all kind of got moved into fast forward by that point. Wow. And I, I've been told that everything that happened pretty much in Wolf Wall Street was storyboarded, including like the leg to the face. Like that was all part of the yeah, storyboard. Yeah, that was in it. Was this movie is equally storyboarded in terms of like pocket lifts and stuff like that? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Well, Wolf actually was, I mean, hugely improvised. Like, oh, was that so? Yeah. The whole, I mean, a couple of things like the actually, you know what, the leg on the face thing, we we made that up too. Was that was just you on the day? Yeah. I I know she like put maybe in the script it was like she put her heel, like pushed him away or something like that. Mm. But no, like on the face. Wow. It might have been Leo's idea even. I was worried about poking his eye out, so I was being a little more on the cautious. Yeah, what's the insurance on this? Yeah, there weren't many rules on Wolf. There wasn't a studio involved until after the film was made, so technically it was an independent film with a $120 million budget, which is kind of the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard of. But yeah, so there were no rules on Wolf, and there was a lot of improvising. Like, the whole thing was improvised. There wasn't a plot you really needed to stick to. It was just the character's... You just follow characters, really. Focus, on the other hand, has so many twists and turns and plot points that you need to hit or not hit at certain times. We still did quite a bit of improvising, but but not entire scenes the way we did on Wolf. There are some scenes in this film, and by the way, I walked into this film thinking, I'm going to work out what's going to happen. I'm going to try and find out the twist. Yeah, I'm going to you, do think, it. you think you have, and you, you sh- haven't. <laughs> I think everyone in the room, clever, yeah. clever journalists, going, yeah, I've got this one. No, yeah. you just no. trust me, you won't. And I'm the same. I feel like I've read so many scripts now that you can you can tell by the tone and, and the way they set things up, and, and you know where it's heading. And focus, just as I was reading, was catching me by surprise continuously, and I'd be turning back 20 pages <laughs> to check what I had missed and then be like, okay, yeah, no, I'll give them that one. Yeah. And then I'd keep going. Then I'm like, hey, hold on a second. <laughs> and then I'd go back and check again. I'm like, yep, no, I missed that as well. You do an amazing thing. And this is going to come across almost like a bad compliment, but I promise you I mean it. Okay. You deliver the most amazing fake laugh. Like you can <laughs> see, there it is. No. Yeah, this is my fake laugh. <laughs> when do I do a fake laugh? It's not, obviously, it's not fake because you're acting. You're acting a real laugh. But, oh, when, but when I laugh, but in... when you laugh, it's just like a bang. <laughs> I'm so embarrassing. I, my friends always say to me, they're like, when we watch your movies like like we don't see you at all which of course is like the biggest compliment you can get and if you if people only see the character and not you then you're you're doing your job and they're like we don't you know i forget it's you until you laugh and then when we hear you laugh we've quickly reminded that that it's actually yeah i haven't mastered how to um do a character laugh i just Ah, i guess i use my own laugh it's always you yeah I, i have a real problem with giggling fits on set and that is my weakness was that was that is there going to be a blooper rule of, of you Will should just see looking the, at his watch oh my god you should see the gag reel for focus it's hilarious another thing weirdly enough 
and it's only ever happened on focus. I would never hear action. So every time they called action, I would miss it. And everyone would start moving and I'd sit there and I'd turn around and be like, I'm oh, sorry, are we acting? They're like, yes, action. I'm like, okay. There's The gag reel is pretty much full of me just forgetting things. And then at one point, Will turns around and he's like, do they use another word for it in Australia? Do they say action there? And I'm like, yes, I'm sorry. I don't know why I don't hear it. No, the gag reel is brilliant. And half of it's, yeah, just me laughing because everyone else is so funny, really. Speaking of Australia, there are jokes in this film which are quite, you know. Oh, we added that joke in there. That was in the, in the script. It's pretty on the nose. It's like, well, I'm glad an Australian is involved. Otherwise, it could yeah. come across. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, the um, yeah, McEwen's character. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, they kind of gave him free reign. So they're like, go as nuts as you wanted. He wasn't really written quite as vulgar mm. as he made it, but they were like, go for it, just go for it. So it got bigger and bigger each time until you end with, you know, you left with the final product, which is kind of hilarious. And then there's another joke that we added in because I was like, we can't not make reference to me being Australian sure. just somehow. And uh, so we'll um, we came up with this line for Will to say where. He's like, there are Australian people here. And I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? And he's like, look, they were sent there for a reason, okay? You know, hinting that we're all a bunch of convicts, which is everyone's favorite joke I've learned since moving overseas. Was it the 18th time you heard that that you started laughing at that one? Was that one? Yeah, yeah, it took a while. At first I was just like, shut up. And then after that I was like, fine, I'm on board with this. I suddenly realized this is hilarious. Speaking of going places and moving on to different things, you're now Jane. Yeah. You're the Jane. Yeah. But that, I mean, what, what was that phone call back home like? Oh, by the way, I'm going to be Jane. Well, I gave, you know, I'm really glad that you asked what that phone call was like because it actually was a really funny one. I was on the phone to my mum and I was getting ready for the, the Golden Globes, I think. And we hadn't spoke, you know, things were really crazy since I was doing the Wolf Press tour and I was about to fly in. Anyways, it was all, all nuts. And, I'm, you know, as many things, as it often goes in the industry, when it rains, it pours and 10 million big decisions happen at once. And um, this is one of those occasions where I was sitting there, just received so many pieces of information. A, that I'd, you know, I was officially signing on for Tarzan. B, I was officially going to do Zifa Zachariah with five days notice to do it, which meant I'd be flying to New Zealand the next day and then be shooting in New Zealand. And all of a sudden, see, I just signed, you know, very impulsively signed a lease on a house in London to move in with a bunch of friends, which was, you know, just a split second sort of decision. We looked at the house over Skype, you know, it was it wow. was one of those ridiculous things. Anyway, so I told mum and she's like, oh, darling, what's happening? And I was like, well, um, I don't have much time, but uh, just quickly, I'm, I'm about to go to the Golden Globes. And I've, I think I forgot to tell you, but I'm presenting at the Golden Globes. And um, then I'm going to the Critics' Choice Awards and I'm also presenting there. And I'm also going to be doing Tarzan and playing Jane and that's going to shoot in London. So I'm moving to London. She's like, London? And I was like, yes, I'm actually also moving into a house with a bunch of friends in London. So that's where I'm going to be living from now on. Oh, and I'm going to New Zealand in five days time and I'm going to be shooting in New Zealand and um, also we're thinking of getting a pet pig when we move to London like a little teacup pig and she was like wow that's a lot's happening and I was like yeah yeah so it's, it's exciting but yeah that, that's pretty much everything and she was like great and then I was like I gotta go I'll talk to you soon and I got an email from her of all the things I just told all the exciting pieces of news clearly the only thing that really stuck with her was the, the idea of um, getting a pet pig so she sent me an article being like hi darling all sounds very exciting just thought you might be interested in reading this and it's an article about how pet pigs can sometimes grow to be like very big and heavy and um, one's been known to like eat its owner's toes or something and it's sleep or something ridiculous like that she's like i just thought you should maybe reconsider the pig thing and i was like great thanks mom that's, don't, don't that's helpful don't reconsider jane <laughs> yeah. reconsider the pig she seemed to not really 
be terribly interested in anything else. What's worse is that I'm going to be your mum here. How's the pig? <laughs> the pig, we well, the article scared me, and no. I told my housemates that we shouldn't get a pig, we should get a puppy instead. So um, <laughs> everyone was kind of in agreement after. I, they said, let me see the article, and then we'll decide. And they read the article, and they, they were like, yeah, you know what? Pigs are not the way to go. It's almost as if most people don't have pigs. It's it's crazy, weird. Yeah. Such a, but as well as Jane, and I gather this is not like your damsel in distress, Jane. This is a real kick-ass yeah. proper Jane. Yeah. Tell me, how much can you say about working again with Will Smith in Suicide Squad that won't get you shot? Yes, I, I'm meant to be keeping my mouth shut about Suicide Squad, but it's so exciting it's really hard to. <laughs> um, and I'm not being secretive on purpose. I genuinely don't know mm. a lot of things yet. The script, the script is ever-changing, um, as scripts normally do right before, and especially something like this where so many people are going to have a say in it, studios, like so many people need to sign off in it, so there are a lot of changes happening. But yeah, the, the prospect of working with Will again is highly exciting. When I heard he was considering the role, I just immediately texted him. I was like, you better do it. You better take this job. <laughs> I was like, come on, let's do round two. Focus two. Yeah, the unofficial focus two. I, also, I can see Harley Quinn doing some pickpocketing. That seems to fit for oh, me. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. She, she'd do anything. She's crazy. For me, it's the blooper reel I'm looking forward to. I want it to be released. I really do. Mm. I mean, I look like an idiot most of the time, but it's so funny. Yeah, but when you're in costume, like for her, for Suicide Squad, that's going to be oh, one that- hell of a Blooper that reel. loop for real. I I had I shudder to think what sort of loopers will be on that. I'm I'm not I'm a little bit clumsy sometimes and hey, there's nothing. Wrong I get with that. the impression that the Harley Quinn outfit's not going to be the easiest to move in <laughs> or pickpocket in or pickpocket in. Yeah, once you pickpocket, you need a place to put the things. Kind of hard. I just wish I knew the word car. for that now, but yeah, put pocket. Put pocket. Yes, I can, I can put pocket better than I can pickpocket. I think <laughs> organically created a new word. That's... And the world all makes sense. Again. That's fantastic. You were also in about time, and I asked that because it kicks me right in the feels when I watch it. Yeah. But also, what's it like working with Richard Curtis? Kind of playing this dream girl there he is the sweetest loveliest most clever witty (laughs) man he really is just the way he reads on paper you know when you read it and you're like oh he's writing so endearing but it's clever and it's sharp and it's it's dry and you know funny and it's so many wonderful adjectives you can you know all the wonderful adjectives you can think of and that pretty much is embodied in Richard Curtis himself he's just the most wonderful person um i was on i was just psyched i even was reading richard coda's script to begin mm. with um but yeah the the big print you know when your character pops out they have a couple lines describing the character yeah. and that's always the most intimidating thing in wolf it was you know like long le- legs that go for days and perfectly parted lips and hair and like the most gorgeous woman you've ever seen you're like jeez louise like i can't i, I can't play that and the same thing with the Richard Curtis scene was like, and she's stunning and time stands still while she gets out of a car and she's just the most perfect girl. And yeah, it's, it's kind of like setting the bar rather high, so it scares you a bit. Now, I can't use up too much more of your time, but I want to ask just a couple of very important questions. What's the Stig actually like? Is he is he a pleasant human being? Yeah, he's really lovely. He doesn't tell you what he's not a get man of many on. words, but he's really <laughs> lovely. One of the pieces of um, yeah direction I got from him was, yeah, do the same, but faster. I was like, cool. Yep, I'll work on that. Speaking of which, there's one of the rare moments where a segue actually happens in my life, but <laughs> genuinely... Glad I can help. Thank you. Uh, I'll pay you later. But <laughs> mm. what's, what's the best doctoral note you've ever had? Well, I, I love it when... Well, I lo- there's certain like words that you know they're just using the diplomatic version of telling you. It's like... So they're like, a little more pace. A bit, bit pacier means... Mm. 
I'm bored, so so do what you're doing, but do it at double the speed so we can be out of this scene quicker. It's like, like, like the stick, it's like, really. I'm bored watching this. The audience will also be bored. So if you just say it quicker, it might be more interesting. Uh-huh. So pacier means that. And um, I've also gotten ones that pretty much like, no, 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 that was good. Just try it again. It's like, okay, but you don't want anything different. They're like, just, and I'm like, so the same but better. They're like, yes, just, just what you're doing, but a better version of it. It's also a lovely piece of direction. No, I guess the coolest piece of direction for me personally was on Wolf. It was a fight scene with Leo's character and my character. And Marty came in. He's like, just be uh, on your toes. I want you on your toes like a boxer. And Raging Bulls, like obviously an iconic film, but one of my favorite Scorsese films. So I immediately was like, oh my God, I'm getting like boxing sort of directorial yeah. pieces of information from Scorsese. How cool is that? Um I didn't know if he meant literally or yes. figuratively, but I, I tried to do a bit of both. Yeah, you weren't literally on tippy toes punching yeah, anybody. I, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if he, he meant like you look short in frame, so you should. <laughs> but I, I took it as the, you know, the figuratively speaking, I suppose. Now that's a great one. It, that, was, it was a cool piece of direction. I think that tops um, Dog and Swimming Pool. Thank you. <laughs> I like Dog and I would love to know the context that was used in. Well, that, that's <laughs> a very privileged piece of information. But, Margot, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, it's surreal to be doing this whilst hearing car screeches I know, in the isn't background. It crazy? But yes, um, until next time and enjoy the rest of the press trip. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. You just reminded me of the time I asked Mike Lee if he would ever be in a star in a reasonably priced car. <laughs> and he threatened to throw me out of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a bit harsh at the time. And to be honest, I still do. But yeah. Because he really, um, I didn't know this about him. I'm not sure everyone does. He's really keen. He's really, really into his cars. Mm-hmm. I, did not I don't think he drives a sort of crappy old beat up run around. I think he has a properly nice car. So I thought maybe that would be something he'd like to do, but apparently not. Because he wouldn't have any truck with Top Gear shows like that. I, I didn't, he didn't know what it was for a start, and then I explained it to him, and he didn't, didn't have know any what truck. Top Gear was. Not really. Well, he sort of vaguely knew what it was, but he wasn't really interested in what okay. I was saying, or me, or my presence in the room at that, that moment. Did anyone see Margot Robbie and Will Smith on Top Gear? No. no. I may be asking the wrong room. Yep. <laughs> but, um, I don't like it. I don't know how Not a fan. Don't know how they did. Not a fan. Okay. Right in, tell us. There's some interesting stuff uh, that happened this week. There was a, an Avengers poster which, with everybody in the world crammed into the one poster. Yeah, it's it's um, incredibly ugly. Uh, someone said it's, it's... Hey. No, it is. Come on. It doesn't make what? any sense, Chris. Yeah. You know it, I know it, we all know it. It's it horrible. Makes... They're all standing on something of different height and they're all looking in different directions <laughs> and Black Widow's about two foot tall compared to everybody else. Yeah. Um, it doesn't but... make any sense. I still love them. I'm still going to go see it. Marvel, please take my money. But, <laughs> like, it was cobbled together on a whole other level. So, you know, let's yes. not make a big deal. Um, Helen, I'm beginning to question your commitment to the Avengers. Oh, <gasps> <gasps> How dare you! <gasps> Do we need to have a word? Do we need... Uh, uh, okay. Um, but some interesting things, the poster, because I'm a, I'm a credit block junkie. I love this stuff. Whenever a big poster comes out, when I, when I was a kid growing up, I used to like look at the credit blocks and try and figure out stuff and you, you know, wonder why people were always and so-and-so as sure. such and such. And sometimes people would have their names in a little box. You know, Kim Basinger has that on the, on the Batman poster, for example. It's just kind of weird to me. So anyway, this one throws up some interesting stuff. I'm going to throw it up there for discussion. Okay. Yeah. So Robert Downey Jr. is the only person who has his name before the title of the film. Yep. Now, that man has one heck of an agent. Um, I mean, because th- can you imagine the discussions about billing in that movie? 
So then it's Hemsworth, Ruffalo, Evans. Who's going to Who's going to argue though with Robert Downey Jr.? No one's going to argue. Um, and and second of all, it probably saved them like you know ten million on his feed to give him a better credit. So Possibly. why would you Why would you argue it? Possibly. Uh, it also confirms uh, the presence of certain people in the movie. Yeah. It was Elba we knew about. He yeah. had said that he had shot a scene, but he's actually there on the poster, which is interesting. Mm. Uh, Haley Atwell. Uh, is in the film as well so as Peggy Carter which is going to be interesting to see how she fits into that given that she's in the timeline of this movie 103 million years old um, uh, and then of course the big news is that Anthony Mackie as the Falcon Sam Wilson will also be in the film yay cut the check mm-hmm. cash the check whatever he says um so that's very exciting. And Danny Elfman is doing additional music. Uh, Brian Tyler's doing the, 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 the music, but Danny Elfman, perhaps it's, the score's got so big mm. that Danny Elfman's come in. You, you'll be able to recognise his bits. Well, didn't he do one of the Hulks? So maybe they're just using one of the themes from that. Yeah, maybe they are. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited That's exciting. That. I'm just thinking I'm glad you're married because credit block junkie would be a terrible <laughs> dating profile. What was the... Was it the Towering Inferno where... Um, where S- Newman McQueen. and Steve McQueen had the... Mm. had the uh, They just wouldn't go on set until they'd figured out the, where, the, where their <laughs> names were going to be on the poster. And so they had to have them at like... Just slightly at different angles. One's on the left, one's, one's on the right, yeah. but one's higher than the yeah. one on the right. Slightly is higher, higher than the one on the left. <laughs> Same thing happened in Jaws. Uh, so uh, Robert Shaw's yeah. in the middle, and he's his name is higher than uh, Roy Scheider. Yes. And yep. Little known fact, but Stephen Queen insisted on being on a higher floor in the movie <laughs> in every single scene than Paul Newman. They never actually did any scenes together. No. <laughs> <laughs> just what I, I, I think you've lost a bit of perspective at that point, potentially. Potentially. Just potentially. Maybe. But, but anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, there was other superhero news this week. Oh. You'll be amazed to note. That, that'll be good. Yep. Um, first of all, uh, Ben Hardy, lately of EastEnders, uh, which I don't watch, so I don't really know him, I'm afraid. Nor do I. Um, he's joining X-Men Apocalypse. They haven't said who he's playing, and this didn't come from Brian Singer, this came from The Wrap. So this isn't uh, one of Singer's patented you know, Twitter announcements. So okay. we don't know um, who he's playing. There's a theory that um, he might be Angel slash Archangel, but um, but probably, well, I don't know. That would, that would fit in. Um, I literally didn't know him from Adam um, Woodyatt until recently. But yeah, he's he's you know attractive blonde guy, so he would so, fit in with that. But that's a big arc to cram into one film. Yeah, I would say. But then it's a bit weird. They haven't really done Angel well, so uh, Phil's looking confused. Yes, Angel. I'm, I'm confused because didn't just last week we say that no one else can join this film until someone else leaves in we, a one in one out did, policy, and yet, and yet they don't <laughs> appear to have been listening. What the. F- I know. They've got to cast going on. all of the horsemen. So Apocalypse has oh. four horsemen, yeah. right? Okay. Um, war, yeah. famine, death, Anton Deck. Benini. Um, Benini. Anton Deck. Benini. Um, credit block junkie. Um, that would be the worst superhero in the world. Really? <laughs> really? Would. really? The, the orphanage is on fire, credit block junkie. Man, did you know <laughs> that Kim Basinger had a block around her name in the uh, Batman credit block? <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> You're useless. Um, anyway, uh, so they've got four horsemen of the apocalypse, yeah. and um, and uh, so they he might be filling out an archangel. There's a character called Angel who was in X Men: The Last Stand, played by Ben Foster, uh-huh. who looked very happy to be in that film. <laughs> and um, what? He's a goodie, and he has 
big wings. Mm. And then Apocalypse takes him, yeah. okay, and turns him into a baddie with bad wings. Mm. That, that are like his feathers are knives yeah. and they like mm. slash shoot the them at you and stuff. Yeah. So that's exciting. Okay. And there's, there's rumors as well, obviously, that Hugh Jackman will be in this as well. And uh, Wolverine at one point became one of the, the four horsemen. So he that could war. be he yes. was, that could be his arc in the film. Okay. He, he becomes a weapon to be used against the X-Men. <gasps> so it's all very exciting, but that's all we know. Um, other... I hope he keeps his EastEnders accent. <laughs> that would be amazing. Leave it at Charlie X, <laughs> you bold twonk. It's not very Angel, is it? Angel, of course, Warren Worthington III, scion of a millionaire family and yeah. uh, all-around well-brought-up young gentleman. So that'd be an interesting choice, artistically speaking. Other superhero news, Dwayne Johnson has suggested that we may see Shazam uh, slightly earlier than we had already thought. Um, it's currently scheduled for 2019. He's saying it may happen a little earlier than what has been predicted. The script is coming in. It's great. The support from the studio has been great. It's just a great opportunity, <laughs> especially with Black Adam, where you can take a guy who starts as a bad guy, turns into an anti-hero. We can make him vicious with a little bit of winking charm. He's, he's just never knowingly negative, is he? He's just no. never knowing the undersold. Everything's... I, I, being, being around The Rock, which we've had the pleasure to, yes. to, to do in our careers, is astonishing. You're just at the whirlwind of, of just positivity. And even when he's busting people's balls, he just gets away with it. He has such charm. Um, so, yeah, everything's great. Yeah. Everything's fantastic. Everything is awesome. Speaking of everything is awesome. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my, you didn't even write that down. That's amazing. I'm genuinely impressed. 150 <laughs> episodes in, we've finally done a seamless segue. Amazing. <laughs> this this isn't going to be about the Lego movie, though. So <laughs> it is. Okay. Speaking of everything, it's awesome. Creed. <laughs> Damn, I should have. Uh, Jessica Chastain is in Snow White, the Huntsman sequel. Um, no, Rob Schwab is directing the Lego movie sequel, and its official title is The Lego Movie Sequel, which is excellent. Why not? Who is he? He is, of course, uh, a guy we all know from Community. <laughs> <laughs> now, basically, he uh, he is a guy who is behind the scenes on Community um, and has done, obviously, great work on that great, great show. If you haven't seen it yet, please figure it out. Matt He's Berry also... is on the new season of Community. Oh. He just tweeted this well, week a picture of him with the uh, with the cast in full Matt Berry mode. Just I when you thought wait. it couldn't get better. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's also worked on um, the Mindy Project, the great, the late great Parks and Recreation oh. uh, and other comedy TV shows, both as writer and director. So this mm. has got to be a good sign, that's I think. Good, that's good. Why yeah. not? Looking Absolutely. forward to it. I've got something for you. Um, and in it will be your opportunity for another seamless segue. Oh, and you've got to jump on it when it comes. Okay. Okay, Tomb Raider uh-huh. is okay. being rebooted. No. Again. Well, not again, because it hasn't been rebooted before, but it is being rebooted now. It's been made twice, obviously. It's made actually a decent take chunk at the box office, about $430 million in the two movies. In fact... I don't think anyone's clamouring for this movie, I'll be honest, but it's happening. Maybe your brother is, because uh, Nick... Dissemlian worked on Tomb Raider The Cradle of Life so if you want to know who to blame uh, no he was he was a, a runner and it's definitely the runner who should take the blame for the film I mean that's usually where all the buck stops with him doesn't it it looks it feels like the sort of film where actually you could imagine the runner made a lot of credit decisions that, that, <laughs> it, it, it got passed down the line until basically the guy who picks up the sandwiches was going yeah whatever I don't know what do you think we should do in this next scene? Can we do more raiding? Go for <laughs> it. Good call. I, yeah. I mean, I, it's happening. It's going to be a sort of a origin story of sorts. The first adventure of Lara Croft, where they brought in a writer, um, Evan. It's a good start. Evan, yeah, well, 
it's handy, I suppose. Doherty? Doherty? Doherty. Whose CV features currently Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Divergent, G.I. Joe 3, um, and is in within one more mid middling movie of self-destructing. <laughs> and has also done Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, well, hey, there's a segue. Um, although, just before we take it... Oh. Um, no, sorry. But is this based on the the most recent game? Uh, the sort of the Rihanna Pratchett scripted one that, that made a big f- sort of... Wave I, I, a couple of years ago. I could see from the that blank expression good. on Phil's face that he's, <laughs> he's fully on top of all the facts. Oh, that is a good question, Helen. And to answer it, <laughs> Siri, I'm going to take you back. <laughs> Siri, what is Tomb Raider reboot about? I don't know. I'm very preppy these days, Chris. I'm not. I'd be honest. I'm probably not the man to ask about the uh, the video game origins <laughs> of this bad boy. Thank God you're the one who introduced it to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I've played it, actually, I think once or twice. Was that in the 90s? It might have been in the 90s, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's going to be, you know, I guess they'll be looking to cast a young Lara Croft, which is like a plum role for anyone that's not, not, sort of noted Angelina Jolie's career trajectory since doing that film. Right enough. So, um, I don't know, what, Dakota of Fanning, this is your time to try being a brunette or something. Could be. All right. Um, I'm going to take that segue now that you so nicely set up about five minutes ago. Um Jessica Chastain is apparently joining the sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman, which is now simply known as The Huntsman. Um, Charlize Theron and Emily Blunt are already in the cast. Now, Mm -hmm. Charlize Theron, of course, was in the first one, Mm -hmm. apparently died, um, but, you know, magic mirrors and such. This is a prequel, isn't it? This is, um, yes, essentially a prequel. So uh, you'll have Hemsworth's Eric meeting Ravenna, uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Theron's character for the first time before Christmas year ever turns up. So, spoiler, he's going to survive to the end. <laughs> and apparently there's some kind of mystical quest going on. Now, the story is that Emily Blunt might be playing Ravenna's sister, who's also a witch. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know how Chastain features in. Didn't didn't he have a dead wife in the first one? Yeah. So maybe yeah, she ends up brooding. marrying him and then that goes badly. So, he was brooding um, a lot, yeah. He, he did a lot of brooding in a faintly Scottish accent, as far as I can recall. That's right, um, yes. And then sometimes the accent disappeared and then sometimes it came back again. Bless him. Um, so that one's, yeah, that one's going ahead with Cedric and Nicolas Troyon, I think is how you pronounce it, maybe, mm. as the director. Mm. You know, my mum used to say, if you can't say anything nice. No, um, this is a tricky one, isn't it? Because there would seem to be, on the surface of it, every time I've seen this film discussed on Twitter or on the interwebs, mm. there would seem to be absolutely no appetite for this movie whatsoever and yet they've put together a pretty astonishing cast yeah I was interested when Frank Darabont was writing and directing it then he left and then they got this guy on um and I'm kind of like, no, I'm not really, I'm not really on board. A sequel, yes, because then you can actually do the interesting things with sure. the characters. But do we really need a prequel to one of the most underwhelming films of the last five years? Well, it made like 400 million worldwide, didn't it? So, I mean, obviously, the money men's answer to that would be yes. We absolutely do need whatever we can get out of this. Yeah, yes. we're we, we're not going to bash any film site and say no. that is. Great what cast. A cast. And Amazing there must cast. be a reason that they've signed on, apart from the ones who were contractually obligated to do so. Um, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. One film that caught my eye a while back when it was picked up initially, a book that I read and loved by a guy called Ben Fountain, The Long Halftime Walk of Billy Lynn, is Ang Lee's next project. Ooh. And he has just signed up a, a young guy by the name of Joe Alwyn, which who people probably won't have heard of he doesn't really even yet i don't believe have an imdb page so you know set to work on that if you can uh, he's done some stage work i believe he's 
really kind of, I think he's 18, 19 years old. He's a, he's a graduate of the National Youth Theatre and, and Bristol Uni. Um, and he's got the, the, the Billy Lynn, the title role in this. It's basically a story about a, a platoon that comes back from, from fighting in Iraq and is welcomed to a big Dallas Cowboys match at um, um, Cowboy Stadium, I think it's called. Apologies if I'm wrong about that. And they're welcomed back as heroes and it kind of interweaves what actually happened during their tour of duty and, and, and a particular moment of, of heroism um, with trying to adjust to this strange sort of superannuated bright lights night it's basically sudden death without any penguins being stabbed brutally in the face. Um, it's written by Simon Beaufoy, and as I say, Ang Lee is directing it, and he's talked about introducing a new... It's going to be 3D, I think. Uh, High-resolution, high-frame rate, which is quite an interesting treatment for what looks like, on the surface, a drama more than anything mm. else, set in a stadium. I'm, I, I, look, I say I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was a very interesting look at kind of America's view of itself at the moment and the war and, you know, as I say, the NFL is quite a, quite a contrast to where these guys have come from and the razzmatazz and, and uh, he you know, falls in with a cheerleader during the course of the night and he has some issues to deal with. Um, I'm really interested in this. I think it's a really interesting combination of writer, director. I don't know this, this young kid, but it's obviously going to be a young cast and uh, it could be something to keep an eye on. Fantastic. Sounds great. High frame rate and a drama. Yeah, I, I spoke he, to James Cameron recently. He said that he wasn't going to use it all on Avatar 2, 3 and 4 mm. because effectively they'd experimented with it in The Hobbit. People didn't like it. Um, but he thinks it works well on really big action mm. sequences, mm. but n not necessarily a drama. It's an interesting one. I don't think... Uh, it, this clearly is not in any way an action film. There'll probably be flashback action sequences, and I don't know if he intends to use the 3D and the high frame rate for those to contrast with the with the with the stadium stuff. But you know, sports events. I mean, you're a sports fan. Sports events on film can often go one of two ways: either good, really unrealistic. Mm -hmm. You know, the secret in their eyes has an amazing uh, stadium uh, uh, sequence. Hopefully, this will do similar. Sudden death, another one. Fantastic. A um, couple of quick things to race through. We don't have a lot of time. So um, I'm just going to mention very, very quickly that the official synopsis was released this week for a film I'm hugely excited about, Creed. Yeah. Uh, big, big Rocky fan. Uh, big fan of the Rocky series. And uh, this is um, the sequel, I guess, with Michael B. Jordan playing the son of Apollo Creed and who become, Rocky becomes his trainer. But they said this week that Rocky is also battling uh, the most deadly foe of his career. So it would indicate that he is fighting a, a, an illness of some kind, perhaps a terminal one. So could this be the end of the road? <gasps> yeah, it's uh, Ryan Coogler as well, who uh, did Fruitvale Station. So I'm very, very excited about that one. But is it the end of the road for Rocky? Oh, I don't know. Oh. It's out in November. So we're very, very excited about that one. And um, this week is also New Empire Time. Yay. Hooray! Uh, and Helen will be very excited about this one in particular. This is, uh, we have a world exclusive, the world's first look, the world's first set visit report from Spectre, which, as Helen well knows, is the 24th James Bond film. Uh, we have two fantastic covers, Daniel Craig uh, with uh, what I'm presuming is a Walter PPK uh, on the cover. We have a subscriber's cover, which is gorgeous in black and white and gold. And inside, uh, we were on set both at Pinewood, at the Bond stage, the 007 stage, as you might expect, and uh, also in Austria to see a fantastic sort of plane crash sequence with Bond, some sort of demented Santa Claus. Uh, 
riding a plane like a sleigh down down a slope, uh, which was fantastic. And uh, talked to Monica Bellucci and Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli and Lea Seydoux and Dave Bautista. And uh, it's all very, very exciting. So if you want to know more about Spectre, the follow-up, of course, to the biggest Bond film of them all, Skyfall, then do pick up the new issue. But there's tons of stuff in there besides. It's not a Bond jamboree. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, so we also have um, a great article a great interview with Russell Crowe, who's uh, made his directorial debut with The Water Definer, which is out later in the year, and that's a fantastic one where he takes us through all the great directors that he's worked with and what he's learned from them. There's a fantastic big interview with Alan Rickman, Alan Rickman, uh, which is a wonderful, uh, big, big interview. He's, his new movie's coming out soon. There's a, a great Fast and Furious feature, which is a kind of an overview of, I guess, the unlikeliest <laughs> big franchise that you can imagine uh, the little franchise they could but which became a behemoth um, and we have a massive TV preview as well uh, which has loads of great stuff in it including the uh, uh, the first visit on uh, Marvel and Netflix's Daredevil uh, there's a wonderful piece about Hannibal a wonderful piece about House of Cards and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell as well plus Set visits galore. Jurassic World set visit in there, which is fantastic. Spooks, the greater good, the greater good. The greater good. Um, <laughs> cannot can't hear that phrase without doing it. Yeah. Uh, Helen, you were on set of Pitch Perfect too. I was. What was the catering like? Um, it was good, actually. Yeah, really nice. Um, we were sort of in a a concert hall in in Baton Rouge, uh-huh. in Louisiana. What did you have? They had. Um, what did I have? I don't know. I'm mostly. St- Docked up at the snack table. <laughs> you don't keep a ledger of what you eat in I sets. Don't, I really should. We should start doing it. We should. We really should. Uh, also, we have exclusive images and exclusive interviews from Josh Trank and Simon Kimberg about the new Fantastic Four movie. Ryan Reynolds talks through his signature uh, roles. Um, we have Julianne Moore on Still Alice. She won the Oscar, obviously, last week. And in fact, we have Julianne Moore on next week's podcast as well. We have the first look at Tom Hiddleston and Luke Evans in Ben Wheatley's High Rise, which we're massively excited about. Uh, we have an interesting look at a British superhero hero film called Super Bob which is really funny and really sweet and you should check it out when it comes out and Michael Sheen talks us through his best and worst moments of his career Vince Vaughn is this week's pint of milk month this month's pint of milk plus there's loads of other good stuff in there as well £3.99 from all good uh, evil and spectre affiliated news agents can't say fairer than that yeah. right this week's films uh, kick off with uh, It Follows uh, you heard last week Michael Monroe it's Star Wax lyrical about it it's an indie horror directed by David Robert Mitchell I think he's taken Robert to avoid confusion with the many other famous David Mitchells um, especially loads over here uh, she stars as a young girl who has sex with her boyfriend only to find that he's passed on an infection if you will in the shape of a demon that slowly pursues her and will stop at nothing until she's dead so uh, Phil Cat. yeah what do we think of this one we thought very much of this film um, Great. Uh, the next film is <laughs> what's next? <laughs> it's, it's focus. No, that's. I, I let's got, talk about it. Follows a bit I, more. I play football with uh, with a man who reps. Oh, this is a bit of a long winded intro. But who, who 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 was looking after this film from a, from a publicity? And he was he would he spent one night on the full pitch, just following me around, pitching this film to me what, it, a few months back, slowly following you he around. He was the pitch. following me around the pitch. Yeah, very slowly. The pair of us were moving slowly and uh, telling me how good it was. And and I have to say, he's 100% right. Um, thanks, Mark. Film, My favourite film of the year so far, I would say. And uh, I'm not really a horror fan, as has been discussed uh, in ad infinitum on this podcast. I'm a massive scaredy cat. <laughs> and I spent this entire film in a clammy, 
ball of tension and and, and not not sweat exactly, but I was just yeah. you know it's a film about dread. It's not a it's not a slashery, bloody, gory type movie. It's a film about the anticipation of something terrible about to happen, and it's a film that you know as we discussed afterwards because um, we watched it together. Obviously, George Romero uh, tapped into this with his zombie films. They're films about growing old and dying and, and, and the inexorability of these things happening to you. And this film taps into the same stuff, quite primal fears, fears of things that you just can't escape from no matter what you do or where you go. And we've had some discussions about this movie and what you could do if this thing happened to you, this STD, this sexually transmitted demon came your way, <laughs> what you do to escape it. And, and, and those conversations have involved looking at like airline flights and, you know, places you could move to. And uh, it's that sort of thing. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that he's a, David Robert Mitchell has established a very work, a very workable set of rules for this horror. Mm. I think there aren't a lot of plot holes that you can pick, which enables you to just be in the moment. And Mike Monroe's performance enhances that she's really fantastic she's fantastic in the guest as well and i think she's, she could be a big star in due course um she brings enough warmth and humanity so that you really care about this character and you feel for them and in, in this predicament um don't really want to get into the plot stuff but i just want to say that it is basically the most terrifying game of where's wally everywhere she is she's there's someone coming for her and it's in the guise of different people that she knows mm -hmm. it could um, be anyone it could be anyone it's usually going to be someone that she knows or someone that has some connection to her um, which makes it all the scarier and, and I think the, the way that uh, Mitchell places his camera is, is really interesting because he has quite broad frames and you see her and then you're always looking in different directions you know mm -hmm. the direction normally channels your vision towards a particular point in the frame whereas in this film stuff is happening behind the frame and a number of memorable occasions, and your attention is moving around. You know, I think it would be interesting to see if you if you saw where everyone in the audience is looking in the in the in the in the in the frame. Um, it could be anywhere. It's a really really good tense film, enhanced by some incredible sound design and a very very punchy score. And we gave it four stars. We gave it four stars. I agree with absolutely everything you've just said. Um, I will say though that um, where is my invite to the football? I keep asking. I'm, you I'm are on I'm the list. Coach. Every this is. We'll take this. Sorry. Everyone that's listening, we'll, we'll continue this conversation afterwards. But you were on the list, dude. It's a two-foot tackle, Phil. Two-foot tackle, red card. Four stars for It Follows. Next up is a Focus, uh, in which Will Smith and Margot Robbie, as you've heard, play con artists who may have may just have bitten off more than they can chew. This is from uh, Glenn Vaccara and John Requa, who are the uh, the writers behind Bad Santa and the, the directors of uh, Crazy Stupid Love as well. So, Helen. Yeah, this is um, a little bit Crazy Stupid Love. It's a little bit more Crazy Stupid Love than it is Bad Santa, but there's there's a little bit of touch in there. So, uh, we, we join the film basically with Will Smith playing Nicky Spurgeon, not the greatest name ever I have to say but anyway he's a third generation con artist really established in his game and he meets Margot Robbie's Jess when she tries to essentially get one over on him and fails miserably so he sort of takes her under his wing um, brings her down to New Orleans where he and his crew are running uh, sort of a, a week long scam in the build up to what's euphemistically called a big game but I swear it's meant to represent the Super Bowl anyway um, and they basically just pick pockets and, and run short cons essentially all week with with this whole crew they the idea is they make a lot of money they split it up and they go their separate ways to live happily ever after um but during this week the two of them sort of get it together what? and then he well, i know i know and then she gets followed around by a, by a terrible <laughs> terrifying demon but no uh 
but he gets worried that they're getting a bit too close and kind of breaks things off. So <clears> it's <throat> then cut to sort of three years later, they meet up again in Buenos Aires in very different circumstances. Um, and he begins to lose his focus on the long con-, con that he's running there on behalf of a millionaire played by Rodrigo Santoro. Um because she's kind of pulling his focus, as it were. So I, um, I know that's not a euphemism. Well, it kind of is, but not the way you mean. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so that's the idea. I mean, you know, both leads are incredibly charismatic. I think Will Smith is still a little bit holding it in. It feels like he hasn't been himself on screen of late, and mm. I still get that impression a little bit here. There's a little bit more of that cockiness and that quickness and that sort of wit back that we certainly didn't have in, for example, After Earth. Um, but at the same time, he still feels a little bit reined in. He's quite a sort of restrained, uh, buttoned-up character in many ways, and, and it's only when she kind of pulls that out of him that you kind of see the old Will Smith that we all kind of know and love. Um, not to say that that's a you know that's obviously a performance choice, but I think he could have gone with a little bit more of his natural charisma here, and it wouldn't have taken away from the character too much. And um, she is yeah. terrific. I mean, she's insanely gorgeous, let's be honest, and then is also a really fun and interesting and likable character, which is quite hard for someone who's playing that gorgeous and a con woman to mm. be. And I think it, she she really, really nails that, which is impressive. Lots of nice little twists in here. My issue with it, I think, overall, is that sometimes the twists take away from the drama and the characters. It's to, for some of the twists to work, people have to slightly go against their own character and therefore mm. you, it sort of undermines how attached you get to the story. So you enjoy it while it happens, but then after Afterwards, if you think back on the film, it kind of it falls apart a little bit in retrospect. But there's a lot of fun to be had when you're watching it. It's really slick, really stylish, really frothy. A couple of great, great scenes um, and and great lead performances. So we gave this three. Is it a bit Elmore Leonardy at all? Is it the sort of thing that? No, it could maybe have done with a bit more of that sort of weight or grit or or whatever that Elmore Leonardiness is. Sleaziness, I think, is what well, Elmore maybe, Leonard yeah, actually, has quite yeah, a lot there, of, yeah, there isn't there isn't a lot of that here, and I think. It's it's a little bit too concerned with keeping the pace up and the frothiness mm. frothing, and maybe not quite enough with with the characters for me. But but totally entertaining stuff. Entertaining stuff. Uh, three stars for focus. It'd be really interesting if every time now a character had sex in a the movie, they were followed by a demon that just <laughs> chased them around as punishment for doing the naughty wow. deed. It would make rom coms really interesting. It really it really would, wouldn't it? It really would. Um, yeah. It follows. It's kind of like Jaws, isn't it? But for sex. <laughs> You'll be afraid to go back in the water? I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything, Helen. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Just when you thought it was safe to put on your sexy wife fans. <laughs> uh, last but not least this week is the second best exotic Marigold Hotel, which attempts to re- repeat the magical formula of the first movie, but this time with added Richard Gere. Mm. Yeah. Sexy Richard Gere. He's basically recreating his that credit card ad he did. <laughs> Isn't he, you know, the one where he releases... I spent the whole film waiting for him to release Doves. Because he... Tur- do you not know, you know, you remember, remember the one? I don't remember the ad, no. You've got so a probably... a dream that you had. I, no, this is not a dream. It was far too stark and real to be a dream. <laughs> Just Google Richard Gere and was it... It was Visa or something, one of the MasterCard or something. And he goes to... He goes and he, he's just benevolent to everyone in India and he really, he buys doves and he releases them I, and and he's sort of reprising the character he's Richard gearing this film to to the nth degree but I, not in a bad way no. I, I somebody pointed out that you really would be hard pressed to spend 122 minutes in the in the company of these actors and actresses yeah. and not have fun yeah i agree with that 
And I don't think we need to explain what it's about or where it's set. Or, but or, let's, because Ali gets cross with us if we don't. That's true. Sorry, Ali, I'm going to explain it then in that case. It basically picks up after the end of the first film and it sees Dev Patel's character on the, on the verge of getting married to his, um, to his sweetheart. And he also wants to expand the hotel in, I, th- I guess what must be quite a meta comment on Hollywood into a franchise <laughs> and 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 he, he gets down a very tangled path with this whole thing elements of jealousy and such like and he and he he, he travels with with uh, with Maggie Smith who's his kind of she's the kind of the, the straight shooter um, who's kind of helping him propel propelling him into this business world and the the other cast members the Bill Nye's and uh, Judy Dench's they're all still you know still trucking along there's, trucking there's, along everyone's trucking along having a nice time there's huge numbers of, of plots there's going a lot on of here subplots. because uh, Judy Dench and Bill Nye are still flirting with e- mm. with each other and not quite you know getting it on mm. wouldn't take Sex Demon on to catch Sorry. up with them I've got to say <laughs> <laughs> they're not moving at pace they're in not this moving movie. very fast they would just uh, do what all pensioners do. What? Leap into a bathtub and roll down a hill. That's <laughs> essentially what I've been conditioned by Last of Summer Wine to believe that's oh, how pensioners escape danger. That's sure. Well, I mean, that could work, I guess, if there are hills around the, the hotel, which there don't appear to be many of. Oh. Anyway, uh, but you've also got Ronald Pickup um, sort of struggling with monogamy, uh, which is bizarre. Bizarre, a little bit. Uh, you have. Uh, a little bit of a worry about Maggie Smith's character's health. Is she mm-hmm. going to be okay? David Strathairn pops up as the big investor who's who's interested in taking this hotel to the next level. How many level. silver foxes can one movie take? A lot of silver foxes right here. Uh, Tasman Grieg is the is the uh, British lady who's visiting the hotel on behalf of her mother. Uh, and so there's uh, and and there's a whole romantic subplot for Richard Gere, which we haven't really mentioned, where he falls for Sonny's mum. So you know. Woohoo, there's the, lots going yeah. on. Will the kettle boil in time? Oh, <laughs> it, there's a lot of that sort of thing. There's a lot going on. But but really, it's just kind of nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. nice. It, yeah. I, you know, nice seems like damning it with faint praise. It's it's a fun world to be in, and it's kind of it's a bit of a hug. Yeah. And your folks all love it. Definitely. And it's, you know, it's very fun, passable way of spending some time in the cinema. And, you know, these, these are great actors. They seriously And are. this is not stretching them in any way clearly but they just they, they do it beautifully and there's lots to like about this movie we've given it four stars um, it's a wonderful film you can, you can watch it while you just you know while away the time in the, in the queue for your pension <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> waiting for the inexorability of the sex demon to catch up with you um yeah, no. Let's not un- let's not understate it. No, it it's kidding. it's well done. It's it's, it's well done, and it's um, it's uh, it's worth it's worth your time. I would say if there's a, it's one of those films where when you talk to the, when you interview the cast, and obviously we interview Bill Nighy about this, and you say, you know, what about a third one? They will openly say, well, we better hurry up, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll and you'll just pull a face and go, okay, next question, because <laughs> um, there's no follow up to that, <laughs> like life. <laughs> Four stars, Empire. Four stars, four stars. Uh, I've just watched the Richard Gere commercial, by the way. It's amazing. You have seen it, there it I, is. I, it's just on my phone. Yeah, uh, right. I just you see what I mean about the doves? He releases doves and then they, the doves apparently go uh, run amok and then he apologises for it. He kind of shrugs and goes, whoops, oh well. But hey, but when they don't kill people, that would be terrible. Anyway, that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be talking to Julianne Moore about Still Alice, for which she just picked up Best Actress, of course, at the Oscars. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be talking to Julianne Moore about Still Alice, for which, of course, she just picked up Best Actress at the Oscars. The interview was recorded before that, incidentally. Uh, Of course, if you want to listen to our Oscars podcast special featuring Phil Hill and myself dribbling on about the show on No Sleep Whatsoever and are even more incoherent than we are now, 
Mm-hmm. Which is Thanks, an impressive. achievement. Yeah. Uh, you can do so. It's available to listen to right now. Uh, that's it for this week. Until next week, it is goodbye from Helen. Bye-bye. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Uh, I'm off now to be pursued around London slowly by a sex demon because obviously, guys, I've, I've, had, I've had sex. I've, I've, I have. I have had sex. See you next week. <laughs>